Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Expat Empire Podcast. Before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that we're offering a free consulting call to anyone interested in moving abroad. Whether you're thinking about retiring somewhere warm, starting an international career, or becoming a digital nomad, we're ready to help you think through the next steps in your journey. Send us a message at expatempire.com to schedule your call today. With that said, let's start the conversation. Hey, Spencer. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Expat Empire podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me, David. Yeah, it's good for us to catch up again. I know it's been quite a few years since our university days, but I'm excited to dive into everything that you've been up to, especially in uh, South America and Latin America. So uh, it'd be great if you could just kick it, kick it all off by telling us a bit about where you're from originally, where around the world you've lived so far, and where you're living right now. Sure, happy to dive into that. And yeah, it's great to catch up a little bit. I think we always kind of shared this. We already knew we both had the passion kind of for foreign language and living abroad even back back then in the university days. So I'm kind of glad to see we've both, both been able to pursue that uh, in our own capacity. So yeah, so I'm actually originally from Dallas, Texas. Uh, went to school at the University of Texas in Austin. Uh, from there, I moved to New York City and worked in IB, investment banking at JP Morgan for a couple of years. From there, I moved down to Santiago, Chile. Worked there for a couple of years for a local Chilean investment bank. And then from there, I actually started my own startup. Um, we've worked through a few different SaaS products over the years, over the last eight years at this point. It's been a little while. Uh, and yeah, it's given me the opportunity to move between, let's see, Argentina, so Buenos Aires, then back to Santiago and Chile. Uh, finally went over to Barcelona in Spain for four years, which was amazing of that place. Uh, lived actually for a few months in a small town called Cornudea, which is just outside of Barcelona. And then currently I'm living in Boulder, but with the idea of kind of splitting time between Europe, especially Spain, uh, and and mostly Colorado, but kind of all over all over the states. Excellent. Yeah, you've been to a lot of cool places. Some that I've been to, and many that I haven't. So I'm excited to be able to hear your stories, but also hopefully see them myself one day. But if you could just take us back to ahead. the uh, the early days. So how did you get this interest in you know learning Spanish, let's say, and also trying to just generally be in that region? Was there a particular country that caught your eye, or a trip, or any certain experience that really started it all? Yeah, an experience for sure. But I would say it all started in high school uh, in Texas. I mean, everyone's required to take some basic Spanish classes. I did that. I honestly don't know why, but for whatever reason, I absolutely loved it from day one, like from the get go. It was like one of my favorite classes. I think it partially has to do with the fact that I love math and patterns. And so foreign language kind of made sense to me. I was naturally not like amazing but i think it was naturally like relatively good at it uh and more importantly just loved it like had a passion for it thought it was super cool but i'd never even i don't think i'd been abroad at all at that point point. and then my family my parents took me on a trip our first trip to europe i guess i was probably 16 uh and we went to italy went all over went to positano went to sardinia to rome lake como uh, and that experience definitely opened my eyes because that's when I first saw kind of the merge of this is not just theoretical in the classroom, taking tests and doing assignments, but I'm sort of seeing how this thing that I really like can be applied in the real world in a really cool way. So that definitely sparked the interest. And I think from that moment, I was like, okay, I definitely want to live abroad. Uh, 
when I went to school, I mean, kind of the easiest way to do that, right, was study abroad, mm-hmm. like most people typically do. So I pursued that. Thankfully, at UT, there was so many options. It was super easy for us to do it. And I think the first place I went was Spain, which was amazing. Went to a town called Santander in northern Spain. Um, I had an amazing experience and like learned a lot, but I I felt like something a teeny bit was like missing mm-hmm. from that experience because I went with a group of maybe like 50 UT, like students from our school, um, which was great because I came away with some like amazing, like honestly at this point, lifelong mm-hmm. friends. Uh, like I was in the wedding of like one of the mm-hmm. guys that I went on this trip with, you know, so it, it, I did come away with some amazing experiences and great friends, but I felt like I spent too much time just kind of interacting with people from my country, like not even from like just the US, like from going to my exact same mm-hmm. like college. So, I mean, with, with a whole lot of shared experiences and speaking probably more English than I wanted to. And, um, and it was for a short time. It was like for a month and a half. Mm-hmm. So I felt like from there, okay, I really want to pursue, I want to do this again, but I want to go somewhere where I'm going to be forced to interact with more people from other countries that are not the US, speak more Spanish, something that seems a little bit more foreign to me. I don't want just like a big kind of, University mm-hmm. of Texas party, like in another country, which is super cool, <laughs> yeah. fun, but maybe not, not, not totally what I was looking for experience wise. So then I went down to this pretty small town called Cordoba in Argentina. It's kind of right. If you drew a line from Buenos Aires to Santiago, Chile, it's right in the middle. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a really cool place and definitely there. It's like not an international tourist destination, you know? Right. So I was much more forced to like, make local friends and I was speaking mostly in Spanish and had friends from Brazil and Germany and Argentina and Colombia and kind of all over. So that was super cool. And just from there, I mean, not to kind of go on and on. I mean, from there, I knew that was a passion of mine and I pursued it um, in a variety of ways. Like I knew I wanted my first job to have something to do with Latin America and with um, the Spanish language. So I got into like a Latin American m group at JP Morgan uh, knew I wanted to live abroad, moved down there, you know, and, and so on. It was, but it was those initial, I think, experiences that told me like, Hey, this is something I want to pursue. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot in there and I'm sure we won't get to all of that in our conversation today, but it's like, there's so much, you know, great stuff. And as you said, you were able to visit these different countries and cities and you got an experience with your university and then kind of more on your own. So there's so much in there, but how did you think about trying to take that, especially from your you know high school days of studying Spanish into, uh, into your career? Like, how did you know what to study? I, I know because I know you that we didn't, you didn't just study kind of the Spanish language or the culture. Uh, so how did you, how did you marry that with something else? And then ultimately to find those opportunities, even in the U S and New York to be able to, uh, to leverage those skills. Mm-hmm, for sure. So, and I'm sure, you know, everyone can, of course, like find their own path. And this is not necessarily something that would even necessarily work for other people. But just for me, uh, although I think it certainly can work. But for for me, I guess I always thought I wanted to study in school. I didn't want to just study Spanish, for example, because I wanted to build other skill sets. And I knew that, um, you know, being like something like a translator or something like that, like I, 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 I thought I probably wanted to pursue a career outside of that. Um, like specifically in business, like I already had a passion come for mm. business and entrepreneurship and finance. And so that's what I studied. That was my main, if you want to call it like main major. But what I did is I took extra classes and I had some, I think I had some AP credits. So it was like a bit, maybe a bit easier to do, but I knew I wanted to study both. I wanted to have the main focus be the skill set I was trying to build, which is like finance, entrepreneurship, business. But I definitely wanted to supplement it with my kind of passion for Spanish. And I thought 
it could possibly not even end up only being a hobby, just something I was interested in, but also I thought that possibly that could be something that differentiated me later from other candidates or allowed me to um, pursue some sort of business opportunity, which would be uh, uniquely, I would be uniquely positioned to pursue because I had these skills of, you know, having lived abroad or, or having, you know, fluency in another language or something like that. But it was always like, I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure I got that core skill set as a primary goal in college and as a primary goal for my first job. So like I knew I wanted to live abroad and work abroad at some point, but I just thought it was going to be so much easier mm-hmm. to get a job in the States first, prove myself, if you will, and then use that experience to, uh, to find something abroad. And I'm, I personally am actually glad I did that. It is th- this is kind of what I was getting at earlier. I'm sure that's not the only way. I'm sure if you're really psyched on it, you could just go directly and make it happen. But for me, that seemed to be a good path, especially since I wanted to pursue investment mm-hmm. banking, which already is like a relatively competitive kind of hard, hard to find, you know, a job like right out of school. So uh, my compromise was again, like I, I looked at all the investment banks, the top ones I was interested in. I was like, which one of these has a program that has to do with my passion mm-hmm. uh, of like Spanish or like the Latin American re- uh, region. And so that's where I found it was, I was super lucky. I mean, I just found JP Morgan just happened to have, one of the best like Latin American focused um, M&A groups. And I was lucky enough to, you know, get an offer there and move to New York, which is also like a super international city. I thought it'd be like a great launch point for going abroad anyway, just in terms of like networking, meeting people. And um, so that's how I thought about it. I was like, get, get the core skill set, get the right. job uh, first in the States, work a couple years. And then let's see what doors open. Sure. Actually, maybe to get into the weeds a little bit, as far as getting that first job, I, I can imagine, I mean, did, you, did they test your Spanish ability? Like how, how did, how did you get the job on the Latin American desk? <laughs> I think that that's what I'm wondering. I imagine a lot of listeners are wondering as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, for sure. So to clarify, my Spanish was very good at the time, but I don't even think it was necessarily business fluent. I think it was, and, and you know, there's all sorts of, you know, grades so of like what what is fluent there's so many different like levels and shades of gray but i mean for me like at the time i could very fluently talk about my hobbies what i like to do traveling things like that but like walking through someone through like a discounted cash flow model yeah. and like comps and talking about like you know m&a in spanish i don't think that was totally there no, no, I don't think it definitely wasn't there. Like looking back, I sort of, I think at the time I thought I was better than I was because I lived abroad for a year and I really had pursued it quite passionately and, you know, was, was like reading books all the time and like movies and like just always trying to get better. But I really didn't have that like business mm-hmm. fluency. So the only reason I was able to get a job in this Latin American M&A group is because really it's corporate finance. Mm-hmm. So like most of the work they do is, is in English, mm-hmm. like the presentations they do and, um, so, and even, even the team, I mean, there's, yes, most of the team members are from like Argentina or Chile, but there's team members from Brazil and there's, there's a couple of team members from other countries in Europe who weren't necessarily native uh, Spanish mm-hmm. speakers. So a lot of the, even our internal conversations, a lot of them were still in English, mm-hmm. um, but a, a fair amount was in Spanish too. But so that's why I could get the job because I was, it was cool because actually a lot of the members of that team were native spanish speakers and their second language was english mm-hmm. so and and but i mean super good like many of them were like completely business fluent and such but it certainly didn't hurt them to have another like a native english speaker on the team just for like making presentations mm-hmm. and stuff like that but again i was super junior i was like you know lowly right. <laughs> first and second year analyst so it's not like i was you know 
really kind of the, uh, you know, spokesperson for JP Morgan to, to like the CEOs of like the clients they're working with on these, like, you know, hundred million, you know, or billion dollar deals. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, that's how, that's how okay, it worked. Got it. But, and then from there I kept, you know, learning more and I was getting more and more exposure and I was actually getting exposure to the business, uh, business side of, you know, foreign language, if you want to call it that. And, and I think really that's when, Maybe a bit more so when I went down to South America to Chile and work for that investment bank because there it was I was then the work was in mm. Spanish. I think if I had to give one recommendation, getting a job where you're forced to yeah speak the language like that's going to take you to true mm. uh, if you want to call it true fluency. That or at least for me, like that's what really kind of made the the big difference. So how did you make that transition then to that more local investment bank? I was super fortunate. One of the members of the JP Morgan's uh, Latin American M&A team that I was a member of uh, was from Chile. And he and I got along really well. And so he knew like his bunch of his friends who were still in Santiago in Chile uh, worked at this local bank called La Rimbial. And they told him like, hey, man, we're looking for uh, someone to add to our team. But like we want it to be someone who's like a native English speaker. Um, because we are working with more and more like foreign clients and some of our presentations are like in uh, in English mm -hmm. now and or more and more of them are. And so like that's what we're looking for. And he mentioned that opportunity to me. And like at the time, it was it honestly was a bit scary because I was not even quite two years mm -hmm. in to my time at JP Morgan in, in New York. And so it seemed like relatively soon to be like, you know, I actually probably thought I would work maybe like four years or something mm -hmm. like that, four or five in the States, really kind of establish myself even though now looking back i'm like four or five years is nothing but yeah time, i thought that'd yeah. be significant and i was like so it seemed kind of early but it just seemed like such a great opportunity because i was going to be able to i didn't have to give up this and this was key for me i didn't have to give up what i was pursuing i didn't have to leave investment banking and totally start from scratch and go do i don't even know something totally different that wasn't going to build on sort of that skill set that I really was just, you know, I was just kind of getting to the level I felt like where I could truly contribute and be a valuable member of the team. So I didn't want to give that up. I wasn't going to go, let's say, like teaching mm -hmm. English abroad. I wouldn't have done mm -hmm. it. Maybe eventually, if no other opportunity came up, of course, I would consider stuff like that. It's still been worthwhile for me. But the reason why I took this opportunity was just because it seemed so perfect. I could keep doing what I was doing, improve my quality of life a little bit, and live abroad in a place that to me seemed super cool. So it, it yeah, it didn't end up being that hard a decision. It was just kind of scary at first. Could you maybe compare and contrast, you know, the personal life experiences of living in uh, in New York City and then moving to Chile, but also the experience of, of course, changing the bank? And I can imagine, you know, as you said, you might get a bit better work-life balance as well. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, my case is pretty unique. Like the investment banking industry is quite unique, I think, in that you just, you do work like a pretty crazy number of hours your first few years. And actually, honestly, beyond that, um, like we're talking, you know, 80 to 90 hour weeks, which is kind of unheard of. And I think they may even do a little bit less now. I'm not sure. But so anything would have been much better than that. Right. <laughs> and like, honestly, that, that was kind of one of the things that was a little bit of a bummer. So I didn't truly get to experience in New York City because mm. I was working so often. Right. Like, even on weekends, I, w I wasn't really experiencing the city that much. But it's okay. Like I've never, I'm not, I do think New York City is incredibly cool and I love the international aspect and the food and everything. But I'm really like, I'm one of my biggest pa passions, you know, outside like foreign language and work is um, sort of like mountain sports. So like skiing and like rock climbing and stuff like that. And so it wasn't a great fit mm -hmm. for that. And so when I moved to Santiago, which was like also like a financial, you know, at least like a regional financial capital, um, 
and like, you know, has all the big city amenities and things like that and culture and food. But it's like an hour and a half from the heart of the Andes. Like that already was like a mm. just awesome, really cool change. Um, so love that work culture wise. Yeah, super different. Maybe a lot more like informal. I mean, it's also hard. It's not an apples to apples comparison at all because JP Morgan is like one of the mm-hmm. largest banks in the, or, you know, corporations in the world. La Rinviada is like, you know, smallish, mm-hmm. like regional investment bank in Chile. Right. You know, so it's kind of obviously everything's going to be like quite a bit different. Um, but it, but maybe it wasn't as different as I was expecting, mm. you know, it's still like a kind of corporate environment. People were really serious and motivated about like advancing their careers and doing a good job. And um, maybe some processes were a little bit less documented or a little bit. Um, there's maybe a little bit more room for like improvisation and things like that. Um, but I, I would say it was more similar than I thought it would be. The work the work-life balance was much better but again I yeah. mean, mostly <laughs> yeah. would have been. right <laughs> um i didn't eat lunch extremely late that was the one thing i remember where i was like how do you guys do this i mean they wouldn't take their lunch breaks till like two yeah two or two thirty p.m like they like to get in front load the day do most everything then go take a long lunch you know and then come back and finish up with like you know four or five hours and like for me that was super weird because they, in new york yeah it would be like go till 12 like run right. down grab a sandwich in like 10 minutes and like be back at the desk you know where it's like here like we would go out as a team almost every day mm-hmm. unless you were just running with a project that was super busy you would we would do that every day so that was that was kind of cool cool change so how long did you work at that regional investment bank and then how did you ultimately become you know a startup founder in the SaaS space why did you do that and and what was the process like in terms of starting things you know maybe just logistically but even you know uh yeah legally as well and just getting everything going yeah sure so i probably worked for a year and a half at la Rimbial. and i again i would have liked to actually stay longer but an opportunity came up that i just didn't think i could pass up so um I actually met my like the co-founder in in our business, um, who's who's like still you know co-founder today with me. Um, I met him because his girlfriend at the time was working on like a kind of support research group, um, or, or basically just like a, a Buenos Aires based team uh, uh, of J P Morgan, like of kind of that same group mm-hmm. that I was working for in New York City. So I had interacted with her. We'd worked together on a bunch of projects. I thought she was super cool and super smart. And when I sent out the typical, like, you know, goodbye email that you send when you're working in that mm-hmm. corporate yeah. environment and kind of blasted out to a lot of people and said I was moving to Chile. And she was like, oh, hey, you should meet up with my boyfriend. He's there. Um, he works in tech. He's thinking about starting, you know, a new company soon. He's got some ideas. I just think you guys will jive and and uh, have a good time, you know, chatting and, and catching up. And so I... I met up and like, we were just kind of, you know, friends at first, we'd go, you know, catch up, have drinks. Like we, we actually did a couple like mountain things together, like camping trips. Um, and we all just said like, Oh man, we got so many like complimentary mm-hmm. skills and networks. Um, and we just kind of, you know, enjoy like each other's, you know, enjoy like working together. At least like, it seems like we would enjoy working together. Like we should definitely do something someday, but we kind of left it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he went back to Buenos Aires. Um, but then later, like he contacted me and he was like, Hey, I'm, this is the idea I have. I've, you know, have like the beta for this new, um, new product I want to build, which is SaaS product. And it was 
basically like an enterprise social network is what it was called, but it's kind of like having like the concept is a little bit outdated now, outdated now, but at the time it was pretty innovative. It was like having like an internal social network to kind of replace the sort of like static and super hard to use and like unfriendly unsocial intranets mm-hmm. of the time. Right. So an easier way to like share messages and files and projects like with your team with like a, yeah, like a more friendly social kind of bottom up as well uh, interface. And I just thought that was a great idea. And what I thought we were coming into is like I was coming coming from like a finance business, you know, marketing background uh, with a lot of contacts in the U.S., especially a lot of financial contacts. And he's he was more like he you know he's a programmer, sort of mm-hmm. like, you know engineering mm-hmm. programming, computer programming in uh in school had already like you know been managing like a team of um, of people doing like custom like dev work for a lot of like big Argentine clients. Um, so he had like all the tech skills and a big network of entrepreneurs in Latin America. And I was like, well, that's, that's like a great mix because you can kind of pair up like opportunity, right. you know, and, and lack of access to like capital and, and knowledge, you know, financial knowledge, at least in Latin America with, you know, kind of what I can bring to the table business wise, right. um, nice. financial wise. So, I mean, yeah, that's kind of how, and I just thought that was too perfect. And like, he had this idea. I really believed in the thesis. I thought I could help raise some money. I thought I could help um, contribute you know, as an operator, like as a founder on the business side of things. And I just thought it was a good opportunity because I, I guess at that point too, like I had, I was kind of a bit, um, I, I didn't really want to keep, I didn't see myself going with a very long, deep career in, in finance, at least in investment mm-hmm. making. Um, I wanted to create a product. I didn't, you know, at the end of the day, when you're yeah. in financial services, like your, your end product is just kind of like advice. They do many more things than that, and it's a super important service, but I just didn't connect. It didn't mm-hmm. resonate as much with me as like creating a product that solves like a real need. It's like, it's like super tangible that you can kind of mold and can like be out there in the world and you can see, um, just seem cool. And I always wanted to, you know, I knew I didn't want to stay in the corporate world forever. I just, I think you kind of know, I think everyone should maybe even go, not, maybe not everyone, but most people should go try mm-hmm. it because I think some people thrive on it and love it. And obviously they can enable you to do a lot of really cool things um, working like these bigger corporations. But for me, I like, I knew straight away, I was like, this just, it just, it's a feel thing. It didn't feel right Right. to me. And I knew I wanted to work in a smaller company. I knew ideally I wanted to like be the founder of that company and be able to kind of control the strategy and the direction, have more freedom, flexibility in terms of like where I live, what we're doing. Right. Um, And like the, obviously the financial upside as well. Of course. Um, Yeah. So did you just sort of set it up there? I mean, was it just the two of you running it there from Santiago or kind of how did it evolve from that point? So I ended up going, so he was back in Buenos Aires at this point because he received a really small seed investment from an accelerator called Telefonica. So accelerators are a great way to get started. Like if you do want to start a startup, um, I mean, you do have to give up like a pretty sizable chunk of equity. Maybe it's like, you know, eight to 10%, but it's, uh, you know, at that stage that you're in, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to say like what the odds are of that being worth, right? Right. <laughs> you know, millions of dollars someday. Uh, odds are actually it won't be. Um, and yeah, it's just a great way to like, not only do they give you the capital kind of you need to make your first hires and like develop the product and start spending some on like your marketing campaigns, but also they give you some direction. So there'll be like classes and you can go and people will teach you like, Hey, here's the best way to scale. Like, your sales team, here's, you know, tips for like SEO to improve like your organic search traffic. Here's whatever it might be, kind of all the different like areas you might need to improve as like a new SaaS founder. Um, and yeah, particularly, yeah, for new founders, like that's where I feel like accelerators mm-hmm. are great because they give you all those, the knowledge and then also like networks, you know, we ended up 
Telefonica even, which is like the lot for people who don't know, it's the largest like telco in South America. They ended up becoming a partners of ours and like selling our product. Hmm. Um, and at one point that was more than half of our revenue wow. is sales through the Telefonica channel. So they can really help you out in a variety of ways in addition to the capital. Um, so he was back in Buenos Aires doing that. And that's kind of when I joined. So I actually moved back to Buenos Aires, mm. but we kind of always had the idea that we were going to leave and go to Santiago just because it, at the time and probably still today, it's like uh, definitely way more like pro business. Mm. Uh, there, they have a lot of like government initiatives around supporting like, uh, you know, technology companies. So like startups and like, you know, whether it's like via funding or via like networking events or via, you know, just kind of the, kind of having a like critical mass of like companies you can like network with and potentially partner with. Um, and yeah, just a little safer, I guess, than, than Buenos Aires. <laughs> um, I always love Buenos Aires. Like for me, Buenos Aires, that's, I love that city. It's amazing. The people are incredible. The food is like insanely good. It's just like so fun and colorful and obviously like parts of it are unsafe, but I, I really loved it. But just being someone who wants to pursue like Right, kind of extreme mountain sports. It's like obviously not ideal. It's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Like it's not. <laughs> so Santiago, I did not like the city nearly as much. Like not even close, um, culture-wise, food-wise. I mean, it's it's very cool as well. But I just Argentina always kind of had a special place in my heart. Mm. With, like their music and their their rock nacional is what they call it. Like they have so much good music too. Um, but Santiago was a great fit because I mean it's so unbelievable to be able to drive like an hour and a half. I mean the heart of the Andes or be skiing or drive three hours north being in Atacama, like in this like crazy, amazing desert, go south, be in Patagonia, mm -hmm. go west, you're at the beach. It's really, really cool location. Chile is like really blessed in that sense. Sorry, I just forgot you asked like who, what, yeah. So it was just, yeah, me and him. And then like a, uh, another kind of tech person who was our CTO at the time. So it was like us three to start for a while. Um, but we, we actually set up an entity in the US kind of mm. straight away because we thought maybe, you know, in the next year or two, like we would want to raise mm. a funding round from a venture capital firm. And there's just way more access in the U S. Um, and then plus also the first kind of bigger round we raised, which was still more of like a family and French round. Like I knew it was going to be mostly, um, just kind of like my, my network, right. uh, investing in the round. And most of them were based in the U S and right. it's just like, you know, people are a lot more comfortable with, with investing in the U S entity versus like, yeah. you know, and certainly than like an Argentine, like yeah. essay. So. so it sounds like you really loved being around, you know, all these mountains and all these great things, uh, over there in Chile near Santiago. Uh, but of course you also moved to Spain. So if you could talk a bit about mm -hmm. what the process of that was like, why you decided to do it, how did you decide on Barcelona and everything? That would be great. Totally. So there's a variety of reasons. I mean, we were happy, I think, at a personal level in Chile. Um, but I, I think there is a variety of factors. So one, we had tried to raise a couple funding rounds and it was it was more difficult than we wanted. And so we we thought at the time, I'm not sure this is really true, but at the time, like I we attributed that a bit more just to being based in South America. And like mm -hmm. you know, it's just a fact. Like you do have like definitely less access to capital there's way fewer vc firms there's like way and like the vc firms that there that are there the sort of their investment mandates like their requirements their valuations it's all just much tougher mm -hmm. than like in the u.s let's say mm -hmm. um or even europe like the u.s i'd say is the um kind of most flexible in terms of like highest valuations like at earlier stages right and, right um getting less less sort of like traction before investing 
Europe somewhere in the middle, and then South America is is definitely mm. the most strict. Like mm. you, with much more traction, uh, you would actually still get like you know a lower valuation than you would in the states with maybe more restrictive terms. Um, the flip side of that, though, is that there are far fewer entrepreneurs in South America, so possibly it's much easier to stand out. Mm. You know, maybe there's fewer needs being met by really efficient like you know online SaaS solutions so maybe there's more opportunity you know there's always a flip side right, right? but right. but 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 that is uh something to deal with um i think really though just like we didn't have the right product so i won't get too much into it but we've we've actually pivoted twice mm-hmm. so we started with product a uh didn't work as well as we want pivoted into product b didn't work as well as we want pivoted into product c which is beamer which is what we're working on now and that has ended up taking off and, and working great. And we're mm. really, really excited about that. But uh, it took a long time. Mm. Uh, and I, so I think looking back, um, hindsight 2020, I think, I think maybe it was also hard to raise just because it wasn't quite the right like mm. business model team, opportunity, timing, you know. Right, uh, right. But so anyway, in our minds, that was a thing, um, you know, and, and maybe like, Less access to talent. I think that's mm. could be a thing as well. Although, like our dev team is currently based in Buenos Aires, and mm. Argentina is definitely a great spot for like amazing engineering dev talent at honestly like a fraction of the cost of what you would pay like someone in the states oh, or yeah. Europe. Um, but that aside, for maybe other roles, it's it's a bit harder to find find the talent maybe in South America, and and I think that's less and less true. But anyway, so this is all in our minds, and I think we'd lived in South America for like four years, so. Um, you know, I, I, at least I was kind of ready for, mm. you know, a change. I think, um, I had an amazing time, but like, certainly it's not, you know, it's not exactly the same as like living in, in Europe or the States, you know, level of service. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just a bit, a, a bit, a bit different. Uh, I loved it and I definitely will go back and, but I think I was just ready for a change. So yeah. there's kind of the personal side, there is the business side. And then we're like, okay, well, do we move to, um, you know, the States or to Europe, my co-founder, uh, Mariano, he's Argentine. So the States was going to be hard, mm-hmm. potentially doable, but potentially expensive and potentially expensive with like an uncertain outcome right. as well right. on the visa, which was like not ideal. Um, and we knew that it was going to be highly competitive. It was going to be much more expensive for us just in terms of like cost of living. And for me personally, on a personal, level, I was like, well, I'm not sure if I'm really ready to move mm-hmm. back to the States yet. Uh, I kind of would like to explore some other places. So Europe kind of seemed like more and more a better idea because, okay, I didn't, I'm in, you know, from the U S I, I don't have any sort of like European like passport or right. uh, anything like that. But Mariano and his wife do, they have uh, Italian passports. Mm. Um, like their grandparents were Italian. So they, would not have to apply for any. I mean, they could just go, you know, and live and work in Spain. I nice. think they have to. Can't remember the whole bureaucratic process. You probably know a lot more about this <laughs> than me. But uh, they ha- they just have to basically say this is what they're going to do. Like, I'm going to go live in Barcelona. Right. They're not going to be denied. They can go do it. And then for me, um, there was actually a special program for entrepreneurs, which uh, I can send you more details. I don't know if you have show notes. Maybe yeah, yeah. In there. Uh, cool. Um, because I will look up the exact program name and if it's still there. But basically, it was at the time, if you were coming over to Spain, there's a special like entrepreneurship mm-hmm. uh, visa. So you could go and if you were going to be... No, you just have to create a local entity. Entity. So we had to create uh, an entity in Spain. Um, 
And, you know, I think there was sin. I don't think there was a dollar requirement, but it was kind of like they would evaluate a lot of criteria, like how many jobs you're going to create. So like if you sent, you know, a thousand dollars, I guess like it would be hard then to tell yeah. them like, Hey, <laughs> like hire like right. five people and grow this thing into this, you know, really cool part of like your tech ecosystem. So I don't know if there's a firm requirement on how much money to send, but probably you need to send something. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, okay, so we're looking, and and I guess just to back up a bit, I mean, we knew Spain for sure, be, just because of language. Right, I mean, because right. my business partners, uh, you know, Argentine, his wife's Argentine, uh, our whole team's like Spanish speakers. Uh, and it's like one of the reasons we're going there, not the States, where possibly have more access to capital and talent and more press and stuff like that is so it would be like significantly cheaper and we could right. kind of keep being like a really lean startup until we found something that really worked. Um, if we went to like Germany, that wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't be necessarily like so much the case, but like Spain definitely is like quite a bit cheaper. So um, from a culture, from a cost of living and, and cause these special like visa programs is like right. definitely going to be Spain. Um, and then why, and then why Barcelona? I just, we just love it. I, yeah. I just think it's such a cool city. It's like a bit more international than, you know, we, we were considering Madrid and Barcelona and Madrid is super cool as well, but uh, Barcelona is much more international. It's got much more of a tech focus than uh, Madrid does. So just in terms of, like networking and events and like people you run into and like VCs and, um, you know, Madrid just seemed a little more like classic, you know, corporate, uh, very Spanish, which I'm, this is all, I mean, they have everything. Of yeah, course, yeah. Just kind of specifically. Sure. And then, uh, yeah, Barcelona. And then also Barcelona, right by the beach. You're right by, like, all this amazing rock climbing. You're right by the Pyrenees. Yeah. It, yeah. It wasn't, <laughs> Easy I mean, decision to make. Yeah. <laughs> definitely the place for us, for sure. But uh, <laughs> Mediterranean climbing. Yeah. But I, on the other hand, I have heard that, uh, and I mean, just visiting there, I, I don't know because I haven't lived there in terms of the rent and so forth. But from what I've heard, I mean, Barcelona is fairly expensive. It might not be in the same level as San Francisco or somewhere like that in the U.S. But did you think about, even going to smaller cities or something just to be able to make your, your burn rate for your company even less? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, we didn't really. Um, I think for us, I mean, yeah, I guess Barcelona is not super cheap, but it's not, it's not at least it's when not we bad. moved, yeah. Just, yeah, five years ago. Rent, I think, is the one thing that, right. yes, yeah, is, is maybe a bit... Uh, you know, closer to like maybe what you'd pay, but it's still nothing like the more expensive cities in, in the state. Sure. And that's just cause yeah, you have to compete with like other tourists. And, but I, the thing is we weren't just going like, Hey, let's go for three months and check it out. You know, a three month Airbnb and a furnished and a really nice spot downtown Barcelona. Yeah. That's, that's going to be expensive, but right. we were signing like year long leases, you know, my, my, I, I didn't, but like my business partner was like going for like an unfurnished place. Like, you know, and like, so it's like, we were kind of like, we're, we're staying here for a few years. Got so it, it. I think that probably helped make it a little bit cheaper. Um, and then smaller town, I think we're still in the mindset then, especially then too. Nowadays, it's probably even less just with how remote everything is, but, um, we wanted to be in a bigger city for the networking and meeting people and like meeting face to face with like VCs. We still thought we were going to raise like a funding round at some point. Um, and I guess I, we both personally like, like, bigger cities just in terms of like everything it has sure. in terms of meeting people and the restaurants and you know the opportunities for like going out and bars and stuff so we both like like bigger cities but with great access in nature right that was right. what we wanted and barcelona really hits that super well nice and it's also not super big i mean 
it's big, but it's not huge. Yeah. I mean, where I'm from, Dallas is much bigger than Barcelona, <laughs> actually, which is funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, it, it doesn't feel that big and you're walking everywhere. I had a little Vespa moto thing. I could zip around <laughs> everywhere. It's not that much traffic. Like, I don't know. It didn't feel like so big or so expensive really because of that. So, of course, you've been speaking a lot of Spanish over the years, but I can imagine that the Spain, uh, when you actually moved to Spain, that the Spanish was quite different. So did it take uh, some adjustment or how, how did you deal with that? For sure. And the accent I had, just because I, I think it was the first place I lived abroad for a while, and because most of our team is from there. So my accent was like very Argentine when I arrived in mm. Spain. So it was funny. The Spaniards or like people from Catalonia as well, like, they would all think, oh, this guy, I guess you're like an Argentine. Some of them would just think I was Argentine. Right, sure. And some would think, maybe you're an Argentine who's like lived in the States for like 10 years. So your accent has just changed a little bit. But I could totally like pass as you know, an Argentine, basically. Um, And it wasn't so hard to understand. Now, I was in, you know, Barcelona, so there's a whole other Mm. kind of aspect of, like, you know, they speak Catalan. They they all, in a big city like Barcelona, anyone under the age of 40, 50, I mean, they're all going to speak, like, completely fluent, great, you know, Spanish. Uh, it is different sounding. Like I now, it's funny. Like I can actually really easily pick out if someone's mm. speaking in Spanish from Spain, what region they're from. If mm. they're from, if they're from Catalonia, I can recognize it like instantly because mm. they do have like a, a little bit of an accent. Or if they're from Andalusia, which has a really strong accent, or and yeah, and so it's quite different. Yeah, like at first you get there, and like if your foreign language level is strong, I mean, you're gonna understand. I'm pretty much everything. You yeah. you might just miss like a few words or a few like, you know, kind of strange like phrases that you, it's not like you take the literal meaning of it just because you've never heard it. But like, yeah, by context and stuff like you, you won't have much, much of an issue. I mean, when you go to like restaurants and stuff, like there'll definitely be, you know, menus that are in like Catalan. You have to kind of learn how to read that. But like, you definitely don't need to learn how to speak Catalan to interact and like feel like you're part of the local uh, scene. Cause like I actually did, have a lot of local friends and many people in Barcelona don't. And that's Mm. totally fine. There's like an amazing expat community there, people from all over and that's totally fine. And, but I, you know, I wanted to, and like, especially like Mm. one of my biggest passions, rock climbing, I was like, it's probably a higher percentage of locals that are doing that. So, um, you know, I would, I had a ton of friends that were like Catalan and I would read like, um, I don't know, like climbing like topos and stuff and climbing maps uh, describing routes and stuff in Catalan and like that's so I, like I did learn a bit but like you definitely don't need to be fluent in Catalan to like I mean they speak perfect Spanish like you speaking Spanish you're good, it's going to feel like totally local kind of experience and then if you want to learn it that'd be great I mean of course like they'd be super stoked on that and it, I'm sure it'd be a really cool experience it's just for me it was a calculus of like you know how much is that going to add versus like the effort that would be right. required to like become as fluent so that like really it made sense to speak in Catalan and like not in English, like that would be yeah. hard. You know, <laughs> for me, I would I didn't have time to do that for sure. But um and I guess I just want to say, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean like you can definitely go there and like um improve, you know, your Spanish. I just I've just heard people say like, oh don't go to Barcelona because you speak Catalan. Right. It's like, well, right. no, like I mean everyone there speaks Spanish. Like you can totally, totally improve your Spanish there. Maybe it'd be slightly easier, I don't know. And somewhere else you wouldn't have to, but you just maybe be a bit more, even more immersed in it. But 
I think you can easily like improve your Spanish there. Did you find that Barcelona offered the business benefits that you were looking for that, as one of the main reasons why you moved there with the company in the first place? I think so. I mean, definitely in one sense. So we were able to apply for a few kind of special loans or grants for tech companies. So that was something that gave us kind of extra runway to basically like survive, like as we were pivoting through those different products that I mentioned earlier. Uh, so that was great. And something that like we wouldn't necessarily have gotten in other places because they were like special grants where it's like, you know, normally you'd need, you know, to have more traction, more revenue, mm-hmm. like more paying customers, more um, cash in the bank, more assets for me to give you this, you know, loan. But because you're like in tech and a strategic sector and we want more people here in Barcelona, like doing that, we will, you know, fund your company. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was, um, that was great. And they were both like, you know, debt, debt instruments. So mm-hmm. weren't even giving up any equity. So uh, in that sense, it was, it was great. Um, in terms of networking, you know, definitely it was, it was there. I think we could have done better mm-hmm. in like getting out and like, but, you know, I just, at some point too, like, we, you know, we just got so busy and like in our own thing. And like, right. it was, we probably didn't take advantage of that as much as we could have, but definitely there's a cool area. I think it's called at 22, which is a new part of Barcelona. I think just like East of Pueblo, no, where they're kind of converting into like a tech um, zone. So mm-hmm. they're like trying to like, you know, build a lot of cool housing for like people who work in tech and then have like a lot of tech companies like with their headquarters there have a bunch of like co-working spaces have a bunch of like vcs and so that's a really cool area and we weren't exactly right there and i think it's gotten even bigger now so that would be something i think to that'd be worthwhile to check out like if you're in tech and living there um and yeah they have a lot of publications we followed and so yeah i think so but like we also thought i think at the time we were sort of more um had a bit more of like an enterprise um kind of sales process where we thought we were going to need to like you know meet up with like large corporations right. in person and that would be great to be in barcelona because there's a lot of like huge companies that are based there and we migrated away from that product pivoted mm. to something else it's now it's like way more self-service mm. automated um completely remote you know sales process so right didn't end up needing it so much for that but um yeah it's a good place for sure De- and definitely it was you know much cheaper than like other places we could have been so yeah. that certainly helped as well were there are there any particular areas around town the neighborhoods that you would particularly point to and recommend to other folks to maybe check out if they're moving to the city yeah for sure like in terms of like where to live or yeah exactly kind of like yeah so for living so i lived in an area called elborn um b-o-r-n elborn which is super cool. It's uh, just east of the Barrio Gotico, which is kind of, I would say, like the most like touristic part of the town. Uh, I really liked it because it's a good mix, I think, of, yes, there's plenty of like tourists and Airbnbs there, but there are plenty of like people living more long-term, like I was doing there as well. Um, and so I think it would be cool to be in an area like Gracia, which Gracia is actually now like a little bit more, it's definitely got, a decent amount of like tourists mm-hmm. as well but it could be cool to go to like a lesser known area mm-hmm. that's super local and but i kind of like the mix because when you do have that mix of like tourists there it's like well what do they put there they put like really nice and fun mm-hmm. restaurants and like really cool bars yeah. and it's so, like yeah. it just kind of makes it to where the different like entertainment options you have are probably a bit more um when you have that kind of mix of like tourists and locals so i thought oborn was really cool for that and it's very walkable and um 
yeah, very pretty. So that area is really cool. The area I mentioned, like Poblano and At 22, definitely that's a good area to check out as well. It'll be significantly cheaper than Elborn, which is not going to be cheap. So if you're looking for like a uh, so something on, I guess, like the cheaper end, like that's probably not the best place to look. Uh, Poblano would be quite a bit cheaper. And there's that cool like tech area. And it's also um, kind of goes right along east along the beach. So you have access to the beach like you could even be like you know a five minute walk from the mm. beach and not the part of the beach that's right next to the barceloneta which is um a super touristy area right. town which like i don't like as much as a good like restaurants there and i would run there occasionally but you it's like if you just go honestly if you just walk five minutes mm. east of like where all these people are it's like no one will be there right. it's like <laughs> the same beach maybe better you know and like local chiringuitos which are these like little kind of stands it'll sell you like a caña like a little beer like you know some like seaside snacks or whatever like so yeah probably no good spot as well nice. for sure and then there's lots of cool town like the suburbs of barcelona are amazing too so if you want to go just like a little bit further out like definitely much more local feel but much cheaper you can live like in the mountains that's mm. one thing maybe people don't know about barcelona there's lots of little mountains kind of all around the town too so yeah, there's lots of nice. it's cool options. So it sounds like you had a great setup there. You love the place. You lived there for quite a few years. So why did you leave? That is a great question. And I hope to never kind of uh, not be traveling to and spending time in that area right. because it's so special to me and I love it. I have a ton of friends and I love the climbing there and I love the food scene and the, I mean, just everything about it. Um, so I left, I I knew at some point I'd probably want to at least come back and try living in the States again because it had been eight years for me, a little over, that I've been continuously living abroad. I was lucky since I was working for myself most of that time or a lot of that time, I, I traveled back frequently and I would spend a few weeks, maybe in a month, like in the States at a time and do that two or three times a year. So like I was coming back often, but yeah, I just felt like it would be an interesting experiment to try again what it was like living in the States, like especially at this new kind of stage of life, because I mean, last time I lived in the States, it was, yeah, just, you know, a year and a half out of college. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just wanted to see if I'd like it. I, I thought it'd be fun to come back and like be a little closer to like family and friends. And I had like both my brothers living in Denver and mm -hmm. I had already had on my mind, like the Boulder, Colorado would be an amazing spot to live because it's that same, like smaller city, tons of amazing restaurants, but all the great things you'd want, like in a city, mm -hmm. like entertainment wise and networking wise. Um, but it's like right next to unbelievable climbing and trail running and skiing. And that's kind of what I look for in a city. It's right. like a city, like a proper city with like, you know, some really cool things to do, but that's got like great access to the nature. So I was like, since my brothers are living there, my parents are like spending a lot of time also like in Colorado in this small mountain ski town. I just thought, you know, why not give it a try? And then the, you know, the pandemic hit, that was kind of the catalyst. We were discussing this right. before we, we pressed record, but you know, the pandemic over there in the early days was really tough. Like mm. you could not. So I was there, you know, in, in March and like it, for the first, like, I think couple months, like you really couldn't leave your house for anything other than going to get food, going to, you know, like the hospital, going to the doctor, a family emergency or going to the bank. I think that was it. Like those yeah. four things. And like yeah. if you didn't go out and have like a justified, I think at one point, like you even had to like fill out a form online mm -hmm. and like have that form on your person of like why I'm allowed to be outside. Uh, you know, you had to be at home and I was like living by myself at the time. And it was just like, just not that, not that great of a right. situation, you know, not to even be able to like go out and like exercise or like run 
on my own just seemed a little and i knew like it wasn't like that in in colorado so um right yeah it just seemed like why not like i'm just kind of feel like i'm wasting my time by myself yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) like not really being able to do much like i might as well go back and like kind of see how things are and i was already planning on doing it maybe the next Mm. year so so yeah but my kind of longer term goal is to really like i was mentioning kind of split time between the two places probably at least for the time being uh skewed a bit more towards spending more time like in the states Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean i left like you know a car and like a little kind of van life type setup in spain and i have all the intentions of like spending a bunch of time there because it's a really cool region i think that's one of the cool things that like you know technology and remote work and right all this like enables us to do is like you can if you want and you can make it happen i mean you can kind of bounce around and like live you don't have to live in like just one spot yeah exactly so now that you've been back for a little bit how has the readjustment been i mean of course these are unusual times uh, to say the least but um as you were away for those eight years and now you're back uh what's it what's it been like and what's do you have any like major impressions or takeaways so far totally yeah i think the transition was relatively easy um maybe it is because like i was coming back pretty frequently i probably spent mm-hmm. like maybe two months out of the calendar year in the states so I, you know i guess yeah transition wise it wasn't nothing was super super tough i was doing again the exact same job like the exact same thing i was doing over there is right. what i still do here so work-wise just the time zone thing mm-hmm. but easy i mean i just you know start the day earlier here which most people do anyway so like that's not you know, we're not like going to dinner at like nine or 10 PM yeah. over here, like they are over there. So like, I mean, it's kind of like easier to have the easier, the, the earlier schedule anyway. Um, I think I miss the sort of daily exposure to the foreign language, like just mm-hmm. like walking out to cafe and or- ordering a cortado and just like, you know, d- having that interaction in mm-hmm. Spanish every day. Uh, I miss that, but I also still kind of get it because all my team is are Spanish mm-hmm. speakers. Actually, mm-hmm. I still speak it. I mean, if I'm not speaking, I'm at least like on Slack, like <laughs> WhatsApp, like writing it and seeing it. So I'm glad I still have that exposure. It would, I think it would have been tougher if I didn't right. have that. Right. Um, and yeah, I miss over there. Just man, it's so it's so amazing, like how many places there are to travel to that are just mm-hmm. like unbelievably incredible within like a three-hour drive mm. to Barcelona. Whereas like, I don't, you know, do not, I don't think there's anywhere in the States really where you have that. But, <laughs> yeah. or it's, defi- it's definitely less, yeah. let's say. Yeah. Um, so I kind of miss just being able to be like, well, where are we going this weekend? Well, let's go to like this amazing, like, you know, rock climbing crag or let's go, we're going to actually just like pop over to France and like, you know, go here. We're going to go to the Pyrenees. We're going to go to the beach. We're going to go to, and all like, you know, two and a two, three-hour drive max, maybe less. So, I miss that aspect for sure. Um, but, you know, I've gained like other things. Like it's been fun to like come back and like reconnect with friends, reconnect with my brothers and family. Sure. Not that we were like not, but just, you know, yeah, being yeah. able to like see them on like a weekly basis versus like, you know, once every <laughs> like, three or four months. Sure. Uh, yeah. And I can go, I mean, it's it's been good. Like, And I think also it's been less hard because I, I knew like, you know, I have all the intention of like spending a bunch of time. Like I'm actually, I'm going in October. Right. And, you know, I'll spend a couple months there and then, you know, who knows this winter, like, we'll see. Nice. So do you have any other advice or thoughts for listeners, viewers out there that are thinking about trying to make a move, whether to South America, Latin America, or maybe into Spain as well? 
Yeah, that is a really good question. So I think the the foreign language definitely helps, and that's something you can certainly practice and get better at without like before you move. Um, I think if it feels like it's something you're forcing, then you need to like really question like whether because I'll just say like for me, it just never felt like I was forcing myself mm-hmm. to do it. I was like. I was craving more. I was like, I want to read more books in Spanish. Like I want to be watching these shows. And like, uh, I think that definitely helps. It's probably not the only way, but you know, if you feel that, I think definitely like embrace it and do it and do it as much as you can before you go. Because I know that my experience was vastly different than other friends I know who've been abroad, who like didn't go knowing the foreign language and, and maybe not taking the time there to, to learn it for whatever reason. And not saying one's better than the other, but I can definitely say that it's really cool when you mm. do have that kind of like component, the foreign language immersion component to the experience. Um, I would say don't rush it. Like, again, like I kind of wanted to go straight away, but I'm really glad I didn't mm. because I gained a lot of experience in networks. And actually what I did ended up facilitating me going anyway. So I would say be strategic about what you're picking to do in your home country. But um and like ideally, if you can have some link or or see kind of make some path to where that's going to lead you to being abroad, maybe that's that's better. Um, but yeah, don't don't force it. You know, don't force it. And at the same time, like when you see the opportunity, though, jump on it. Yeah. Just don't <laughs> don't be afraid. You know, do it. Like just go. It's going to be kind of hard, but you'll figure it out. Um, it's like kind of part of the part of the fun, part of the process. Yeah, I think we have arrived ultimately at the sort of same conclusions, which is that it was good to start out in the U.S. with our careers and be able to find a way to leverage those internationally. And of course, as you said, uh, having the passion and really feeling a personal motivation, a personal drive to study the language, I think is really important if you want to try to pick it up. And it can, of course, transform Mm -hmm. your experience as well. So, uh, yeah, I think we, (laughs) we come from quite a similar background in that perspective. But uh, as far as, you know, uh, our listeners being able to follow you and just see what you're up to, or of course, giving more information about your company and how they can get more info on that. That would be great. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, the company we're working on, is called Beamer. It's a really cool solution for SaaS companies. So if you're like managing a startup or have like a website or a blog or something, it's basically just like a really cool way for you to notify your users about what's new, whether that be like product updates, like new features, improvements or things like that, or just new blog posts, new content, whatever it is. It's kind of like a plug and play change log with a bunch of other announcements modals and then a bunch of like feedback options. So you can really see like, hey, what are my users? Um, what they actually think about my product, what they think about this specific update or what they think about my product or service in general, track how it changes over time or by user segment. You can tell them like what you're planning on building via roadmap. So yeah, it's just a really cool tool for like product teams, especially if you have to deal with like, you know, customer marketing or mm-hmm. like product marketing. Um, and yeah, that's getbeamer.com. I'm sure you can put a link maybe yep, somewhere. We will. All right. Well, thank you so much, Spencer, for joining us today. It's been awesome to hear about your journey in so many different countries, exciting places and learning languages. So look forward to keeping in touch and uh, talk to you soon. Yeah, appreciate it, David. Thanks for having me on and really excited about what you guys are doing as well. It's a really cool service. So um, good luck and I'll be excited to follow along as well. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. You can quickly find out where and how to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash expatempire. If you know anyone who would appreciate this podcast, please tell them about it so we can continue growing the global expat empire community. 
Keep up to date on new Expat Empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for our newsletter to get our free ebook, Top 10 Tips for Moving Abroad, right now. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. We are currently offering free consulting calls to discuss your moving plans and how Expat Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in the coming weeks.